Welcome to Wandering Blurs. Welcome. Coming to you from the city that never sleeps in the deep, deep, deep Brooklyn. B-K-L-Y-N. Brought to you by the Gifted Sounds Network. Wandering Blurs is the show that lets those on the go know just where to go when they wander the big blue marble. I'm Mickey T and... I'm Mickey B. <laughs> this week we will be wandering to the African-American Day Parade in Harlem, which uh, is in New York. Um, but before we proceed, Miki, can you explain to us what's a blurt? Yeah, what is this this thing, this phenomenon called blurdom, right? Right. So, Mickey and Mickey, the Mickeys that you're listening to right now, we are blurts. That's pretty much a black nerd. So, <laughs> in your mind, picture a blurred, um, which is a black nerd. It's a nerd who's black. That's that. <laughs> <laughs> And so we're nerding out to you about traveling, about the history of different places and different peoples who happen to be of African descent. Um, And so, yeah, we're going to explore some Harlem history today. Yeah. So without further ado, let's hop in our time machine and we'll travel back to 1968. Now, we're in a large room in 2315 7th Avenue in Harlem. The Fair Housing Act has just been passed and signed into law by President Lyndon Baines Johnson. That's LBJ. The United Federation of Black Community Organizations and the Afro-American Day Organization have come together to celebrate this, the latest incarnation of the Civil Rights Act by highlighting positive images of black people in the community. Okay, so the late 60s. Mm-hmm. Cool. And it formed to promote unity, integrity, and excellence amongst African Americans. Now, Mickey, just take a guess. Okay. Who do you think, or do you know, who the first two Grand Marshals were? Hmm. Okay, so I'm assuming that uh, they would be alive, right, in order to march in the parade. So yeah. they wouldn't be Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. or Malcolm X. No. Um... Let's see. They organized in 68. The first march would have been 69. Okay. Uh, let's see. Hmm. Al Sharpton was, was active around that time, too. He was a young activist uh, then. Al Sharpton? There's two. Okay. Well, well, is he one of them? No. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I'm going through my, my black people Rolodex in my head around the 60s, late 60s. Uh, who would have gotten that kind of notoriety? Honestly, I don't know. I'm sorry. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Um, Was it a singer? Was one of no. them a singer? Okay, no. Okay. I was going to say um, two uh, Aretha Franklin or something. Okay, so two politicians. Um, Thur- um, Thurgood Marshall? Very close, but not quite a slam dunk. We got okay. Adam Clayton Powell where the, actually the parade is actually housed. Oh, yeah. Oh. No, no. The street wasn't named that then. Okay. And then, of course, Miss Shirley Chisholm. Every third Sunday in September, nearly 900,000 revelers descend on Adam Clayton Powell Jr. Boulevard to be entertained by 200 participating bands, dancers, social and professional organizations, civil servants, sororities, fraternities from as many as 12 different states. Now, we got the opportunity to talk to a few participants to find out why they march in the parade. All right, my first name is Kashika. My last name is Bird Blank. My rank in the fire department EMS is lieutenant. African-American Day Parade is not really publicized. 
So therefore, I feel it's my honor, my duty as an African-American woman to be in this parade. I've been on the job for the last 14 years, and I've never skipped a beat. I've never missed a parade. I feel like I'm obligated to give back to show the community that, yes, we came a long way, and me being an African-American woman, we can always go places and higher. So that's why I do it. My name is Hope Maddox, and my organization is Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority Incorporated. And we were founded in 1922 on the campus of Butler University in Indiana. I've only marched about a few times with my sorority sisters, but you know, I have come out and supported the parade and other aspects. And the reason why we do it is because it's a, it's a tradition. Um, and uh, it's a tradition I think worth keeping. Because you know, it's a lot of changes going on in New York City, especially in Harlem. You know, a lot of gentrification. And it's important to also keep your roots. It's good to have new faces and new blood, but it's also good to keep the roots. And that's what makes a neighborhood. Okay, so Mickey, guess what? what? I was actually able to grab a hold of one of the grand marshals from this year. That sounds good. Yep, yep, yep. I'm guessing she has some pretty interesting things to say. Oh, very much, very much. Um, so <laughs> this year's theme for the parade was around health and wellness in the Black oh. community. And one amazing holistic health practitioner, educator, facilitator of women's womb health, um, the, the, the person who uh, has... I mean, I dare to say single-handedly, but for sure she had a huge part in bringing babies into the world who mm -hmm. otherwise would might not have been in the world. Queen Efua. She's an amazing woman who has dedicated decades of her life to helping people all over the world, not just women, but mainly women around um, female uh, reproductive health. Uh, yeah, I got to speak to her a little bit and, um, yeah, let's listen in on, on some of the questions that we asked her. It has actually grown. It has grown. When I started out, I started out really in 1969. So I was like the end of the 60 era and it was about wellness, but not in our community, not in the African-American Caribbean community. It was really the European community was taking the holistic principles from the East Indians who brought in yoga and meditation. And I came up inside of that. And the Black Power Movement, Black Nationalists, uh, ending the war, and holistic health came inside of all of that. And then, then the 80s came in, and then there was the crack epidemic. And it was even harder for us to connect to wellness. And you could see the crack was poured in our community. My wellness center that I had at the time it, the block was infested with, um, you know, met drugs and all. So now everything has shifted. The media is taking it on. You have help, large uh, chains of stores now taking on holistic products. Even the community corner stores, bodegas are taking on coconut water and so on. So the, everyone is now opening up to holistic health. And we as an African-American people, Caribbean people need to because we have the highest incident of all disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, fibroid tumors, depression, and so on. So the media is starting to catch on now, but we're praying that by this experience through the African-American Day Parade and being now, this is a year of health and wellness, and I am being charged as a grand marshal 
that the media will come out and that will be there and that they will lift up wellness in our community and be a part of our holistic wellness movement for our community. So one of the things that I think is really interesting about this particular parade is there is a lot of support of like civil servants. You have policemen, you have firemen, and not just from like New York City. You have them from Long Island, all sorts of like surrounding areas. The thing that boggles my mind, and I don't know whether you remember this, but like the support that the corrections officers get and this parade is like out of this world. Um, people cheer and they yell. And the, the irony is, is the corrections officers, particularly the ones that are closest, work in, in like Rikers. They work in Rikers Island, you know? And it's one of the worst, they, actually they're closing that prison down, <laughs> but they oh, still no get, yeah, oh yeah. Hmm. They're closing Rikers down because of the abuses. But those people get so much love in the parade, like um, sanitation workers, uh, they're just all represented and they get, so much love mm. i guess um, just because of black professionalism they're black professionals so there's respect around that and okay i mean if that's what's up that's what's up that's what's up okay and then of course the other component and i don't know whether you noticed this but did you, what was what actually stood out with you when you went to the parade um well when i went to the parade the first time with you Right. Right. Um, I was just struck by the community, just the people, the people surrounding me, just the love, the energy, um, the the colors. Right. People were really creative with their outfits. Uh, I love the combinations that, that um, black, red and green uh, creates around different fabrics and all sorts of things. Um, yeah. The community, the energy of the community members, the colors and just the different groups of black people represented because we're a diverse people. Right. We're not a monolith. And, and, and a lot of them were represented. It's just about like African-Americans. There are groups from all around the diaspora. There are, you know, religious groups, the Baha'i faith. Uh, they had Mojuba Fifi Yuku. They had the Nuwapian Nation. And even the Righteous Riders for Christ represented in the parade with their motorcycles. I remember them. Ow. It was live. Oh my gosh. We heard house music. We heard um, be more uh, kind of music. I forgot. Uh, what is it? Like bounce? What's it called? It's called, Or is that a DC thing? So the, the bands that are most prevalent, prevalently represented in the parade, the ones that everybody is waiting for. Right. Are the Baltimore. They're called the... The Baltimore Marching Band Unit. Okay. I meant yes. to say them. <laughs> I should have said them first. <laughs> I don't know why I wasted the, no, y'all's the, time. <laughs> the Baltimore Ma Marching Band Unit. And essentially, you know, I got a chance to talk to um, one of the assistant band directors of the Baltimore All-Stars Marching Unit. And he explained a little bit about these marchers who everybody just, they wait for them. You know, people line the streets and I know we got out at about maybe one o'clock and the Baltimore marching bands didn't come through until just before the end of parade at say like five, six o'clock. Okay. Um, but there were ladies that had been out since one o'clock and they were like, where are those boys from Baltimore? Oh, <laughs> wow. The fandom. The fandom. The Northeast. And when I talked to Mr. Dwight, I'm, it, he explained that like these community bands are um, specific to 
each community in Baltimore. He said that every borough has their own community band and each band has uh, a different flavor. So some um, are all girl. Some still march with batons and do like baton routines. While others, he says, have what they call pizzazz. And those are the bands that have a few more um, like LGBTQ members. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see them as they march. They have their weaves in that match the costumes. Face all caked up. Yes. Fierce caked as up. hell. Fierce. Yeah. Okay. More poise than I could ever have in my whole body. <laughs> they would have in their pinky. <laughs> they drop. They. I mean, like literally it is unique it's beautiful yeah and and so that is it's a big part of the culture of baltimore and it's a big part of the culture of the african-american day parade like which is so funny because it's such a specific thing to be accepting of the lgbtq community about like in the african-american in the in our community and in the black community i should say um because not just african-americans um but like elsewhere there's a lot of hatred well it's just like anything else with our community i think that like at the parade and particularly this parade um those groups are very they bring a lot of extra energy Mm. um i was talking to one of them the marches they said that you know uh the crowd just kind of stokes them up and goes on but when you think about it um i know that growing up down south like you had the same kind of thing yeah there was hatred and everything but you had the brothers that were in the choir and you know people that could like cook or that hook up hair and there's always a place for them in the community you know what i'm saying like so it's just like anything else with like black people <laughs> we have a love love hate relationship with a lot of things mm-hmm. i mean we are human beings community. after yeah, all yes like, <laughs> we're very you know? complex that way yeah yeah so but yeah it's it's something that particularly in this parade um, that style sets them apart. And um, in talking to them, what he said was that his band goes to a good, they operate in the spring and in the summer. And the last um, the last parade they kind of really do is like their Halloween. So they'll be back for Halloween. Um, and then they start again in January for um, King Day. But their community found, they're funded by the Parks Department. And there's been some issues with funding. Some of the bands, unfortunately, will not be back next year. Because of the funding issues? I think so. Okay. I reached out to a few of the other band um, directors and wasn't able to get them. But from what I, I heard from Mr. Dwight, he was like, yeah, we have, um, you know, we've had some issues with funding. But because they're nonprofit, um, a lot of the money from for things like their costumes, the uniforms, um, their equipment comes from donations. Donations, from right? They're nonprofit. Yeah. Like that one has a nonprofit status, but he says it took it takes a while to get and that hmm. because there's that shift where the city used to provide a lot of funding. The kids do um, fundraising, but it's it's minimal. But the funny thing is, he says that they go to a good. 20 different events around the United States a year a year a year beautiful because it's the passion it's it's for the art right. it's for the passion it's for the creativity it's for the community that that's built around that 
Right. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, like I said, unfortunately, you know, some of the, the members of the favorite bands won't be high stepping down the boulevard next year, but we certainly love them. People need this. We need this. Yeah. This is, um, that that's an amazing example of self-expression. Mm-hmm. And they call, they're called the Baltimore Community Marching Band Units. Hmm. Each community has their marching band unit. Um, so, Mickey, when you were at the parade, do you remember people with like, coolers yelling nutcracker yeah of course <laughs> at every outdoor event honestly people trying to make that money yeah, before i got here i had no idea i'd never heard of a nutcracker like yeah. so are, are you familiar with it because you're a native new yorker right i am i had one once and only once and it was a sip of my friends mm-hmm. <laughs> so um because i was afraid of it i was like what the hell is this um it turns it's an alcoholic drink, pretty much. It's right. like a mixed drink. Yeah, it's it's like a um, full of sugar. It's <laughs> right, and so in New York they sell them at the parades. And um, if you come here, and hopefully we'll come to the next African American Day Parade, uh, I won't say that I, they're not licensed. They are illegal, but they are also delicious. I have actually had one. Um, I was reading an article actually um, about them and doing my research on the history of the Nutcracker Uh, (laughs) because, you know, it's summertime. It's a kind of an odd thing. I've never heard of them being sold in the winter when people typically think of Nutcrackers. Um, This is true. Yeah. Only when it's really hot. Only when it's really hot. Um, People sell them. The first time I've ever encountered one has been at the African-American Day Parade, but they also sell them um, on beaches at the Caribbean, uh, West Indian Day Parade. They sell them there, but particularly like, um, you know, in communities of color, black and brown communities around the city, when you have your ethnic day parades, they'll sell the Nutcracker. So the question I had was what's in it and like who makes it? Turns out that a Post reporter actually interviewed someone and found out that the Nutcracker makers make up to $500 an event. Wow. Right? Just on those things. Oh, wow. Just on coolers of nutcracker you know what though i'm not even hating because people are thirsty and some of these vendors are trying to sell water for five dollars and all this foolishness yeah (laughs) so yeah make that money make the money with the nutcracker and if you would like to like if you're not like um adventurous or bold enough or crazy enough because let's take let's face it um you know (laughs) They look like little juice bottles that we had when we were kids, but they have um, orange twist off caps. Um, so if you are not like crazy enough to drink some red liquid in an orange uh, plastic <laughs> bottle with an orange trip uh, twist off cap from some person you've never met before and won't see again, we will tell you how to make your own nutcracker. You get it right here, folks. Here is the res- a recipe. Nutcracker recipe. You've got one ounce of vodka. This recipe is high end, so they are recommending Grey Goose. Trust and believe. <laughs> if you come to Harlem, you will most likely not be getting the Grey Goose and your nutcracker. Um, also, two ounces of Bacardi Grand Melon. Once again, <laughs> you will get something melon flavored in yours, but it will not necessarily be Bacardi. <laughs> 
Um, also, and this is where it gets old school and around the way, a half an ounce of moonshine, a half an ounce of schnapps, peach schnapps, one splash of apple pucker or sour apple schnapps or apple liqueur, whatever makes you pucker that reminds you of a green Jolly Rancher soaked in liquor. <laughs> that wow. goes in there and cranberry juice. Oh, to okay. Taste. All right. So that's where it gets a, its color primarily from the cranberry juice. Okay. Right. Yeah. Otherwise it would be really green. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But then the moonshine, depending on the moonshine color. I know, like, I had no idea it had melon in it. But I remember thinking, well, this is kind of nutty. This doesn't remind me of, like, Tchaikovsky. <laughs> like, what's going on here? Hmm. I just, yeah. So. I'd drink it. I, I would. I, I, mean, I have. I'm not going to lie to you. I have. <laughs> I, it's not an everyday thing because, like I said, you have to be bold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was delicious. <laughs> So we asked, um, you know, that's one of the things that you can get at the parade. They also have a lot of food vendors. Once again, enter at your eat at your own risk if you're going to eat from a, a, a side of the street vendor. But there are plenty that line the parade route. Um, but we did ask some of our guests uh, what they recommend as pre and post African-American Day Parade activities. And here's what they had to say. Well, as a tour guide for my tour company, Concrete Jungle Tours, uh, they definitely should come here because of the fact that people from all all over the community, they can come, long-term friends, long-lost friends come out, and people they haven't seen in a while, like, oh, hey, how you doing? And, you know, it's a good way to meet new people. It's the best parade that you will ever enjoy. You're going to enjoy good flu- food. If you are African-American descent, you're going to see where we came from. It's the best, the unity, everything. It's the best thing that you could ever experience. And if you get the chance to come to New York, it's every third or second Sunday in September where you see African-Americans walk and one in unity with the fire department. So one of the things that uh, I know, Miki, you, you will tend to ask, and I think it was a very good question um, that you ask our guests is, um, you know, people of color, we're people of color. Mm-hmm. We travel. Mm-hmm. So I noticed that when we talk to our guests, we, you always ask, so where would you, where have you traveled and where would you wander as a blurred or even someone who is not identified as a blurred? Yes. Because guess what? You don't have to show your black card to listen to this show. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Nor do you have to show your pocket protector (laughs) or your glasses with the tape in the middle. Right, right, right. If you if you laugh and you snort, that's cool. If you don't, that's cool, too. That's cool, too. Okay. so um, we we asked, you know, where some of our guests have traveled. And this is what they had to say. Right now, I want to go get something to eat. Um, So. If you want to... <laughs> okay, where are you going to go eat this? Yeah, we about to go to Cove. Um, so, but if I wanted to go somewhere, personally, it would be Africa. Next is Tahiti, but it will be Africa. I want to see where, actually, African-American, the heritage, everything started originally. I have been... My favorite place, destination, is Bali. And I would love to go back. It was just something about Bali that I love. And uh, my second place, of course, was Africa. I went twice to Africa. 
So I love that. I went to Kenya and I went to Ghana, and I love both countries. And I also enjoyed Brazil. Yeah. So those are like my favorite, my favorite places that I've been in the world. It's always twofold. It's twofold. My favorite place to be around the world is inner peace. You know, you have moments of complete, absolute peace. When I can go in and be still and all the sounds from outside is no longer disturb my soul, that's my favorite place in the world. And then when I went to Kemet and I went through the temples, the first healers on the planet Earth that brought forth Reiki, holistic, it's our, it's our culture, that brought forth yoga, it's African Natural Life, Now Valley, that brought forth dance, that brought forth art, and, and brought forth beauty and brought forth our medicine and our herbs and nature. They brought forth Imhotep and the original healers and the original healing mothers. Kemet was my favorite place because it was a state of consciousness. And we can bring that ancientness into the present from antiquity to the present woman. And we can use all the principles of nature that our ancestors gave to us and heal us. So it had to be the most profound uh, journey that I've ever had because it reflected the best of who we were and who we are now and who we can become. Whole women, whole men. So that's my favorite. This brings us to the end of our first episode of Wandering Blurs. I'm Mickey T. And I'm Mickey B. And thank you for wandering with us, Blurs. Join us next week when we'll be exploring FlameCon in Brooklyn. And if you want to hear more of us, make sure to, to subscribe to our show. We love talking about anything and everything traveling, and we are going to share so much more about the different places that we've been to or that we want to go to that we want to talk to you about. Um, so subscribe. Also rate and review us. We want to know what your thoughts are on the different topics that we've talked about or that we will let you know that we're going to talk about. Um, and uh, guess what? We're also a part of a podcast network. We have a home. It's the Gifted Sounds Podcasting Network. And you can find out more about that at giftedsounds.com. And there's plenty of social media handles where that came from. So just Google Gifted Sounds Network and you will find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. We are everywhere and anywhere you want to get your digital entertainment. Um, and let's see what else. Uh, anything else that you want to let people know, Mickey? Wandering Blurs too is on Instagram on YouTube and on Facebook. That's right. Yeah. And you can check us out um, with our uh, friends at, at Nomadness uh, Travel Tribe and our email address. Yes, please write to us. We would love for you to say what's up or just let us know what's on your mind at wanderingblurds at gmail.com. This has been a Gifted Sounds production. You can check out Wandering Blurds and more podcasts on giftedsounds.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you for listening.